Gracious God, we pray that you would be with us today, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would call us, that you would simply be with us. Lord, open up our ears that we might hear you in new ways and open up our eyes that we might see your heart better. Open up our lives that we might be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, the story goes something like this. There were two little brothers, we'll call them Harry and James. They had finished dinner, they were playing before bedtime, and somehow one thing leads to another, and Harry hits James with a stick. And there were tears, and there were bitter words, and there was a decent escalation that followed. Mom comes in. And as she does, she kind of calms all that down, gets them ready for bed, and in the process, realizes that she needs to kind of help them to reconcile before bedtime. And so she instructs Harry to say that he's sorry, I'm sorry, and then she goes to James and says, James, before you go to bed, you're going to have to forgive your brother for hitting you with a stick. James is thoughtful for a few moments. And he replies, okay, I'll forgive him for tonight. <laughs> but if we wake up in the morning, he better look out. Because, of course, forgiveness sounds a lot easier than it really is, especially when we've been hurt. But let, let me back up a little bit. This, this summer, we're talking through the parables of Jesus because one of the primary ways that he taught his disciples about how to be disciples, how to become more like him, were through these short stories. And remember, parables are little, short, common, everyday places and little stories that a teacher just drops along the way. And the hope is that a disciple would then pick that story up and, and enter into it, wrestle with it, and be changed by it. Sometimes they are very easy and obvious to understand and apply. Other times, they're not that easy. In fact, because of their simplicity and ordinariness, sometimes they're actually easy to ignore and just overlook. Or for us, as we've been wrestling with these for 2,000 years now, it's, it's easy to assume I already know what that's about, I've already applied it to my life, and so there's nothing left for that story to teach me. The stories have lost their edge a bit. But remember, Jesus is using these as tools to try and change us. And so it's up to us then to hear them anew, sit with them for a while, enter into them, and finally respond to them which means we have some work to do in order to live these out. And so if you would, I would invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 12. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 12. And this is Jesus speaking. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Amen. Today's passage begins with a short parable, and we're going to get to the longer version of it in a couple of weeks, so we're going to kind of set that aside. But for our purposes today, it's important that we recognize that we are starting with this teaching about how it seems to be important to go after the wayward sheep. That that's who God is. God is one who leaves the 99 in order to bring back the one who is lost. And that's probably how we are to behave as well. From there, Jesus kind of makes a little bit of a turn. He starts talking about dealing with issues arising from when Christians have done wrong, when we are stuck in sin. Apparently, it's also our responsibility as fellow Christians to correct them. We're supposed to be getting better. We're not supposed to be okay with sin, and so apparently it's up to us to correct one another. That should feel a little bit strange, especially if you aren't a person who welcomes confrontation or if you have enough drama in your life already. And plus, Jesus did say something about the log in my eye and the speck in yours, so it needs to be done carefully. And yet apparently this is important. And so Jesus gives kind of a mechanism for this. 
But again, notice what we're trying to do. It's not just that we're supposed to tell the person why they're wrong or how they're wrong. The goal here is that we're hoping to bring them back. Again, the deeper issue that we have in this passage is one of restoration and reconciliation. It's at this point that our attention is then turned toward Peter. And it's as if we can kind of see the wheels turning in his head. It's one of the things we love about Peter. You can virtually hear him processing out the little hamster wheel starts spinning, and you can kind of see it starting to go, okay, wait a second, back up. Uh, you want me to correct my brother. I've got a brother. His name's Andrew. He's sinned against me plenty of times. He's right here. He can tell you about it. So Jesus, in this hypothetical situation, Andrew, listen up, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like seven? To which Jesus' answer is a whole magnitude of order bigger. At which point, Jesus then goes right into a parable to help explain this further. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. Uh, Right away, we know this is important because we're talking about the kingdom here. This is bigger than we're expecting it to be. There's this king, and for whatever reason, it's time to settle accounts. And unsurprisingly, he starts with the guy who owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Your Bible may say 10,000 talents. Uh, One talent, one of these bags of gold, is 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So you take that, you multiply it by 10,000 times, and you get like a bajillion dollars. So that's that's kind of the, the image here, is this guy owes a bajillion dollars. It's an amount that if you don't have it, you won't get it. And so the king orders that our guy and his family are all sold so that they can repay the debt. And again, this is a debt that cannot be repaid. What's more, it's helpful to remember that to owe a debt like that means that you've borrowed or been entrusted with that amount, which may mean that that he's been living, that our guy's been living pretty large for a while now because he doesn't now have what he has borrowed. Anyway, our guy, because he can't do anything else, throws himself on the mercy of the court, saying that he's going to pay the whole thing back. And for whatever reason, the king has mercy. Instead of agreeing to these new terms, the king just cancels the debt and lets him go. Put yourself in our guy's shoes for a minute here. To owe that much to know that there's no possible way you could ever pay it back, to know that your life is completely forfeit, and then to have all of that debt and all of that guilt and all of that shame simply washed away. Just like that, it's gone. Think about what you'd be feeling, freedom and joy and shock and disbelief. And so our guy goes out and throws a party because I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was bound and now I'm free. That should be how the story goes. But that's not what happens. Because our guy goes in a different direction. He comes upon a a fellow servant who owes him like 100 days wages, which is not nothing. But let's remember that our guy just had 60 million daily wages forgiven. 100 days wages, 60 million days wages. Alas, our guy doesn't seem to remember that. And so he has this servant thrown in prison despite the same beseeching that he just did. 
Thankfully, there are others around in this story. They've seen the whole thing. They go to the master, tell him everything. And the master brings our guy back and points out the hypocrisy and the intolerance. At which point the master reissues all of that original debt and throws him in prison. It's interesting just to note, while he had been forgiven, the master did not forget. And then Jesus lands the parable hard. This is how my Father in heaven will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, to which we, along with Peter, all say, ouch. This is one of those parables that's a little too clear. Uh, If I'm being honest, I would prefer something a little bit more vague, a little bit more symbolic, a little bit more general, with a little bit more wiggle room built in. Some parables, like we've been talking about all summer, are just sitting there inviting you to pick them up. Other parables just sort of punch you in the face. This is one of those. That said, let's look at it further. Let's talk about that king and that kind of forgiveness. Let's talk about our guy and what goes so wrong with forgiveness sometimes before trying to figure out what this has to do with the kingdom and us. But we start with making sure we understand forgiveness as we look at the king. Because all of this begins with a king who forgives, who cancels a debt. I find that in imagery, canceling a debt, to be helpful in trying to understand forgiveness. Because I think it emphasizes that there was a debt that needed forgiving. In our passage, the king cancels the debt of the man who owed like a bajillion dollars, which in turn frees the man from all the consequences that that debt has accrued for him. But sometimes when we hurt each other, it's not that clear. It's easy when you're talking about money to understand this was a debt. I, I borrow money, I can't pay it back, that, and you could forgive that debt. It's harder in relationships to feel that debt. And so maybe an example would be helpful here. Let's say in order to illustrate this sermon, uh, I come down right now off this platform and, and, the, and the no man's land that's right here, and I walk right up to you, bam, and I smack you across the face. While I hope, there's some crying there, I was just kidding, not going to, um, while I hope after this awesome sermon you will be able to forgive me for that, during this sermon, let's think about the debt that I now owe you after, after kind of smacking you across the face. What are those debts? First off, obviously, there, there's a justice debt. There, there's an issue of I have now hurt you. And that's not right. Clearly something justice-wise is off balance now, which is why you have a feeling like I should slap him back to restore justice, to get those scales back to even. But what else? Well, there's also kind of an honor and shame issue. It's not, not one we're very comfortable talking about these days, but, but you feel it a little bit. You were, it's not just that you got hurt. You felt dishonored. You felt shamed when I did that. And so now you have to do something to get your honor back or to shame me. Again, to kind of set that balance back. There's a communal component that got broken. There's a relationship and a fellowship thing that's now out of whack. If you and I are in a growth group together, that's now weird. Sunday school time is going to be a little bit awkward. Even worship time is going to be a little bit strange, a little bit awkward, a little bit strained. And not just between us, 
but for everyone else. You've, we've all been in situations where you know that, that there's something wrong here, and you're now the other person in the room. And you're like, this feels weird. Like, I don't, I don't like this, this feeling. Even though it's not me, it's those two. It, it has a, a communal fellowship effect. Because I've hurt you, that, that changes the relationship. And then there are even more debts. Trust has been broken. Propriety has been breached. Feelings have been hurt. Plus, pastors are supposed to stay up here, and you don't ever cross that no man's land. That, that keeps you safe from me. That's how this works. These are just some of the debts that I now owe you. As you can see, it's more than you would at first expect, which, by the way, is why we don't hit each other. So what happens now? What can you do? Besides the obvious, hit back, much more importantly and more to the point, what does the parable tell us to do? And the obvious answer is to forgive, to be merciful, to cancel those debts. But notice all of the different ways, because we just enumerated a whole bunch of debts that now need to be canceled. It's not just the one, but there's all manner of different debts we now have to cancel, if, if you were going to forgive me. You need to give up your right to justice, payback. You need to give up your right to satisfaction, to, to shame me or to fight for your honor. You need to give up your right to be mean to me or talking about me, the gossip to undercut, to badmouth, to make jokes, to smear. That last group may be the most important for most of us since the first ones are a little bit more targeted to the person who hurt us. And, uh, and as Christians, we, we know we're not supposed to do that, which is why we do that third group the best. I know I'm not supposed to hit you because Jesus says, don't do that. But, but man, I'm good at carrying a grudge speaking badly about you when you're not around, trying to get others to be on my side as I complain about you to others. To be clear, these are all probably pretty good signs that we are still working on forgiveness. Because obviously I'm not canceling the debt. I, I canceled some of them. I'm not going to hit you back. Uh, but I may talk about you. I may gossip a little bit. I may hold a grudge for a while. I've canceled maybe part of the debt, but I definitely haven't canceled the whole thing. I'm still holding on to something. I'm still using it. I'm still savoring it. I'm still wallowing in it a bit. And it's keeping me from being free. This parable calls us to something different. It's saying that for my part, I choose to forgive. For my part, I choose to be merciful. For my part, I choose to cancel that debt. Now, let's not kid ourselves. This is, is only hard. There is a cost. This requires a sacrifice. Someone has to pay the price. Remember, our guy owes a bajillion dollars because he borrowed it. So the king, for the king to cancel that debt, the king is now out a bajillion dollars. Sure, sure, he's the king, except that's that's, that's not nothing. That, that's going to hurt. That, that image is why it's so hard. For me to cancel that debt means either you're paying it or I'm paying it. You were the aggressor, so you should be the one who pays it. But if I'm paying it for you, that, that means I'm getting hit twice. 
But notice that as we cancel that debt, as we forgive, notice that not only are we settling, setting someone else free, but in some ways we're also setting ourselves free from all of that weight too. This is the example of the king in our passage. And it's hard. But it brings us back to our guy. And what goes wrong with forgiveness sometimes? Because clearly our guy is having trouble forgiving. And it makes sense. We do too. This is particularly poignant because he gets forgiven and yet he can't forgive, which is why this story feels so strange. It's almost like the whole story is predicated on the idea that if you have been forgiven, you then should be able to forgive. But our guy can't. Which for me begs the question, why not? Now, the most obvious reason may be the right one. Forgiveness is just hard. It's hard to give up our right to hit back. It's hard to give up our right to to what's ours. It's hard to give up our right to hate. And the story may be that simple. But it strikes me that there may be two other reasons that our guy is struggling with his own forgiveness, and therefore having trouble forgiving others. You see, sometimes I think the reason I have trouble forgiving you is because I don't always understand how much I've been forgiven. And so when we look at our guy, one of the reasons he may have trouble is because our guy may not believe he needs forgiveness, or our guy may not believe he's been forgiven. And here's what I mean. First, it's hard to forgive if you don't believe that you've ever needed to be forgiven. If you've never really been at fault, if you've always been justified, if you've always had excuses, then you've never really been forgiven and you don't need to forgive anyone else. Sure, sure, I might have hurt them, but they started it and they deserved it and they caused it. Plus, there were extenuating circumstances. I mean, it wasn't really my fault. I I didn't mean to do it. I didn't even know I was doing it. Plus, I was really hungry and really tired that day and kind of grumpy. So, again, not my fault because there were some extenuating circumstances here. You know what? Actually, I was hurt by someone else one time, and therefore, it's not my fault that I hurt you because it's something in my past and a thing, and therefore, it's not my fault. Plus, did I really hurt you? I mean, really? I mean, come on. And let's not forget that I could have paid my own debt. I could have fixed it. I didn't need someone else to save me. In fact, who is this king? Who does he think he is in the first place? Forgiving me? Really? That implies I was guilty, indebted, at fault. Who is he to judge me like that? If you recognize any part of those, you may know why it's hard for our guy to extend forgiveness to someone else. But maybe at a deeper level, it's hard to forgive if you don't believe that you really have been forgiven. I mean, how how does a debt like that just get canceled? How does it just go away? You spend all that time living under that weight and that guilt and that shame and that pain, and then it's just gone like that? How does that work? The image here is that someone has been in prison for a long time and then they are released. It's hard to believe it sometimes. It's hard to accept that. It's hard to learn how to live on the other side. 
If you've been living in that pain for a long, long time, if you've been wallowing in it, what does it mean that you're now forgiven? In some ways, the, the presupposition in this passage is that if you have been forgiven, you then should forgive. That's part of the underlying message of this passage. If you have been forgiven, that should make it easier for you then to forgive and, and almost give you an obligation to, which also implies that if we don't recognize our forgiveness, we're going to have a harder time forgiving others. Whereas if we've experienced forgiveness, it should start to change us because it means that someone else has risked themselves on us, which gives us the resources to risk ourselves on someone else. That being said, if our guy doesn't believe he's been forgiven, then it makes sense why he's having so much trouble forgiving. And if he doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong, again, it makes sense he's having trouble forgiving someone else. Of course, the real question that our parable presents us with is simply this, is our guy us? Are we the servant who has been forgiven much and yet doesn't see it, doesn't believe it, or hasn't been changed by it? Do we have trouble believing that we've really been forgiven? Do we have trouble believing that we really were at fault that much in the first place. And be careful here, because of course we've done wrong things, but we start to compare ourselves then. But no worse than, than the person sitting next to me. In fact, way not as worse as the person sitting next to me. So, so I'm definitely not our guy, because other people have been forgiven more. I'm more like that, uh, that third servant. I owe a little, but I could pay it back. I don't owe that much. I can work it off. So I don't need any drastic measures taken on my behalf. You notice how easy it is, how, how easy it is to back ourselves away from that our guy. As you're going through that parable, you start out with the like, yeah, he got, he got forgiven a lot. I would like to be forgiven. And then he doesn't forgive, and you're like, not that guy. I'm either the king or the third guy, but I'm definitely not that middle guy anymore. Except the reality is sometimes we are because forgiveness is hard. That said, as we come in for a landing, let's go all the way back to the beginning of this parable and remember how the whole thing got started. Because the kingdom of God is like a king. The kingdom of God is like a king. In other words, this parable is about something bigger than just being a reminder that we need to work on forgiveness. It's that we are working to become a people who forgive, a people who live like they're forgiven. Because there's something about the kingdom that calls us to be changed. Actually, it's one of the interesting subtexts of this parable. Forgiveness comes with an expectation that we will become more forgiving. It's actually the really hard part about this parable. There's, there's this expectation that if you've been forgiven, you will forgive. Now, notice it's not a precondition. It's not that you have to forgive before you will be forgiven. But the way Jesus tells it, it's almost a post-condition. 
because you are forgiven, you need to forgive. And that makes sense because the king wants us to be changed by his grace and his mercy. And if we aren't changed, it's almost like we didn't really believe the king. We don't realize the magnitude of the king's mercy. The reality is kingdom people are forgiven people, and forgiven people are forgiving people, and forgiving people bring more of God's kingdom come. And we are called to be that kind of kingdom people. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess to you that this is a great sermon for everyone else but it's so hard when we think about how we have been hurt and how we may need to still be doing the work of forgiving. Lord, we don't like canceling debts. We don't like seeing justice done when we are the victims. And yet you call us to something radical. You call us to something crazy. You call us to be kingdom people who forgive as we've been forgiven. Lord, remind us again of the depths of your forgiveness. Remind us again of how much you have done, how much you have paid, how much you have sacrificed so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have the courage and the wisdom, and the strength to forgive. Lord, be with us in those moments. Work that change through us, that we might become more and more like your kingdom people. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.